Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you're glad to be here this morning, would you say amen? I'm glad you are. I want to ask you if you're able to do so, would you take God's word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 for this morning's message. 1 John chapter 2. I'm so thankful for those of you watching online or those joining us from the CLC, those of us, of course, here in the worship center, as we continue on in our sermon series entitled More Than a Name. Over the last few months now, we've been studying God's word from the book of 1 John, and we've been clearly reminded that being a Christian is more than just a name. Being a Christian is not about the title. It's not about your conservative religious upbringing. Being a Christian is not about the banner, the way that you identify yourself. Being a Christian is about being a follower of Jesus Christ. In our country today, 65% of our population identify themselves by being a Christian. In our culture here in the Shenandoah Valley, even greater than that, the percentage is higher of individuals who will say, yes, I am a Christian. At the same time, while many profess to be a Christian, it is odd to identify that nearly half of the population is also still considered unchurched. So we got this big percentage of people that say, yes, I am a Christian, but there's also another percentage that say, but they're not even involved in a body of believers, not even involved in a fellowship. And so what we're seeing in the book of 1 John is this. Being a Christian is not about the title. It's about belonging to Jesus Christ. It's about a life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. It's about a life that frankly is in relationship with God. Literally the word Christian means belonging to, relating to, and even resembling. And so the question we're asking ourselves through this pastor's scripture is, do I truly belong to Jesus? Am I in relationship with Jesus? And ultimately, does my life reflect him to the world around me? See, when God gave these words to John, he largely gave these words to bring assurance to the believers that were gathered in the early church. There were many false prophets who had begun to preach various messages and they were beginning to, uh, to, to pervert and pollute the gospel. And as a result of that, there were many who were listening to these messages and they weren't certain of their salvation. And so God speaks through John so that they could know that they're saved, so they could know they have eternal life, so that they could know with absolute clarity and conviction. So what we're really doing is this. We're identifying the marks of a believer and then we're examining our own lives to determine, are we truly a follower of Christ? And if we see these marks present in our life, it should bring great assurance. Today, we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 through chapter 3, verse 10, and we're looking at the importance of righteousness. What is righteousness? What does it mean? And how do we live that out practically in our lives today? This morning, I wanna ask you if you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? And I wanna preach to you this morning on the subject simply practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness. Listen to what the Bible says. If you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, pause for just a moment. 
That word practice is a word that you're gonna see repeatedly in our text this morning. And the reason why is because of this. The context of everything we're gonna read from this point on is about an ongoing practice in our life. Chapter three, verse one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. For we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as, it, as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. But the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this very purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Practicing righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and this time together today. I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and lives today. May your word speak loud and clear. Father, that in areas of our life, frankly, where we need to be convicted and to be brought to godly sorrow so that we repent, would you have your way? God, in areas of our life, we need to be comforted and, and, and maybe need to be strengthened in our faith. God, have your way. Would you work and move today for your own glory and your purposes, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Practicing righteousness. I think it's important to recognize today, loud and clear, that God wants all of us to walk in righteousness. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 15, verse nine, that the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. God loves one who pursues righteousness. And yet at the same time, the Bible tells us a very sobering reality for all mankind. The Bible says this in Romans chapter three, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Now think of that contrast for just a moment. God says, I love those who pursue righteousness. And then at the same breath, he says, but there is not one righteous, not even one. How do you reason that contrast? How do you understand this calling to righteousness and yet the reality that we're not righteous? How do you make sense of that? And what does that mean? And ultimately, how do we live that out today? The word righteousness ultimately is describing that which is upright. It's describing that which is blameless, that which is holy and that which is pure. So the question becomes this. If God loves those who pursue righteousness and yet at the same time, none of us is righteous, then how can we become righteous? And how can we pursue that which is bringing pleasure and glory to God? 
I believe those questions are answered and clarity is given in this text this morning from 1 John chapter two and chapter three. I want you to see with me three things about practicing righteousness. The number one is this. I want you to see our calling in Christ. Our calling in Christ. The basis for this practicing righteousness is the fact that God has called us to this. God wants us to be made righteous and he wants us to be walking that out in our life today. Now, many will say, well, wait a second, I understand that, Pastor. Of course God wants us to be righteous. After all, I'm practicing and walking in righteousness. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not breaking any laws. I help my neighbor. I give to the poor. I love my mama. I go to church. I honor my heritage before me. So, Pastor, I'm a righteous person. The truth is, is that when we look at ourselves, we often, often feel of ourselves that we're a pretty good person. Uh, maybe we look at the situations in other people's life and we begin to compare ourselves in comparison to them. We think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. Sometimes we look at our good works. We go to church, we give, we serve, we help our neighbor in need. And we say, you know what? I, I'm doing pretty good. I must be a pretty righteous person. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, a very sobering truth. It says this, all our righteous deeds are like what? a filthy garment, like filthy rags, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, I think of a filthy garment. I think of, uh, of just even yesterday, I had the opportunity to do some work in the yard, and I was planting some plants, and, and it began to rain a little bit, and so it didn't take long for me to realize that I had dirt and I had mud all over me. It took me a while to get the dirt out of my fingernails this morning, all right, and it's just, just the way it was. And so when I, when I got back inside the house, I couldn't wait to get rid of those filthy garments, Many times in ourselves, we think we're doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better than the person over here. But the Bible makes it clear that when we get a true glimpse of Jesus, when we understand that Jesus is completely perfect and sinless, he never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He's perfectly holy, righteous, and true. In context to him, we begin to realize that even our good works are as filthy garments and rags compared to Christ. Let me illustrate it maybe this way. Uh, many years ago now, I was in Christiansburg, Virginia, and I was pastoring there, and there was a new restaurant that came to town. And I remember some people telling me about this restaurant. I'd ask them questions about it, and they said, man, you gotta go, you gotta take Heather, y'all gonna have a great date night. And, 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 some, and some people blessed us. They blessed us with a gift card to go to this restaurant for a dinner. And so sure enough, we went, we made plans, and when I walked into the restaurant, I suddenly realized I was not dressed as nicely as I should have for that environment. It was one of those restaurants that you walk in and the lights are real dim. You know, like the only light you really got are the candles that are sitting at the table. And they had music playing. And man, it was just, it was really nice. We sat down and, and we looked at the menu and it took me a while to figure out what the words actually meant, you know. And I was like, I'll got chicken, I'll have chicken. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. And, and we ordered our food and we ate and it was a wonderful meal. It was a wonderful day. It was a wonderful environment and a great experience. And in fact, I told some other people about it. Hey, you ought to check out this restaurant pretty good, you know, and about, I don't know, seven or eight weeks later, about two months later, there was a gentleman that I was supposed to meet for lunch, and he texted me, said, man, I'm running late, but I still want to get together. Can you meet on this side of town? Well, it just so happened to be that his workplace was right around the road from this, right around the corner from this restaurant. So I said, absolutely. Hey, you know what? Heather and I tried this restaurant, and it's more of a date place, but they're open for lunch. Let's meet her for lunch. So we go to this restaurant for lunch, this guy in our church, and as soon as I walk in, I notice that it's different. There's no romantic music, which because I was meeting with him, I was thankful there wasn't, okay, you know? Like, 
That's how it was. And I also noticed that there were no candles at the table, right? There weren't even flowers at the table. And, and, and even more importantly, the lights weren't dim. They had the bright fluorescent lights. You know the ones that give you a headache if you look at them too long? Like those bright lights were there and there wasn't a music. They didn't have the same ambiance that they had the last time I was there. We sat down, we ordered, and as we began to talk, I looked down and I began to notice, man, there, there are stains all over this tablecloth. And then, then they brought my drink and I quickly noticed there was a chip in the glass and I, I'm pretty sure a lady with a lot of lipstick had used that glass before me and we talk and I began to look over, something caught my attention and I looked over his shoulder and I realized there was water, there literally was water dropping behind him and I looked up at the ceiling and I began to see all these water stains on the tile. My food came, it didn't take me long to find the long hair in my food, no. Needless to say, my second experience wasn't quite as glorious as my first experience, okay? The fact of the matter is, with the exception of the hair in my food, which is a true story, all that happened in that second experience was this. It was this. In the brightness of that light, I saw all the pre-existing things that were already there. I just didn't see them because frankly, the lights were dim. The light exposed the reality of where things are. And the truth is, when you and I in our life today get a full glimpse of Christ, when we realize his perfection and his holiness, we suddenly quickly realize that we are unclean, that we have fallen short, that we have sinned, that we are not good in and of ourselves. We need him. It's in that context that I believe God is showing us loud and clear a calling for us today. And that calling is this. The Bible tells us in verses one through three, this wonderful truth that God has called us, he wants us to be his children. Now notice three things about this. First off, I want you to notice what God did. What God did so that we who are sinners, so that we who are unrighteous, so that we who are unclean can be made righteous and can be made clean. The Bible says in verse one, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, pause, time out for just a moment. The Bible tells us that God has demonstrated his love for all mankind. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans chapter five, verse eight, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, you were a sinner, I was a sinner, you were unrighteous, I was unrighteous. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What God did is God demonstrated his love for every single one of us. When the Bible says that God bestowed his love on us, what he's literally saying is this. The us is referring specifically to those who have believed in Jesus. God demonstrates his love. He offers salvation. He offers forgiveness and mercy. He offers us to be cleansed from our sin. But the only ones who experience that love personally are those who receive Jesus by faith. And that's why the Bible says, see, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we, little old me and little old you, sinful me and sinful you, that we can become the children of God. There's a common misconception in our world and our culture today that we are all God's children. Because God is the creator and we are his creation, then surely that means that we all look to God as our father, that we all have some means of relationship with him. But spiritually speaking, as it relates to salvation, the Bible says, apart from Jesus Christ, we don't have a relationship with God. 
Apart from Jesus Christ, we don't have a relationship with him. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have a sinful nature. That's why we continue in sin. But apart from Jesus Christ, we will experience the eternal punishment and the consequences and the separation from God for all of eternity because apart from Christ, God, we do not have a relationship with God as our father. Ephesians 2 says it this way. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't a part of God's people and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, listen, and without God in the world. Oh, we're all God's children. God's everybody's father. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are without hope and without God in the world. The second thing I want you to see is this. Not only what he did, what we must do. God has made a way for all of us to be saved. He's made a way for all of us to be brought into his family. But the Bible tells us what we must do in verse 29 of chapter two and in verse nine of chapter three, he says this, everyone who practices righteousness, key word, is born of him. Chapter three, verse nine, no one who is born of God practices sin. In other words, today, the way that we are forgiven, the way that we experience salvation, the way that we can know that heaven is our home, the way that we can know that God is our father is that we must be born. John chapter three, Jesus said it this way. Nicodemus, the religious leader, came to Jesus because frankly, he was as religious as he could be. He was more honorable and noble than any man in this building today. And yet he knew that something in his life was missing. He knew he did not have that eternal life that Jesus spoke about. He knew he did not know the father in the way that Jesus was was modeling for him. And so Nicodemus, this religious man, looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? How can I know that life that you're talking about? And Jesus said to him in John chapter three, verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was, I think, a typical man because his mind went to the logic of that. How in the world is that possible? Jesus, I'm a grown man. I'm a religious leader. How in the world can I enter into my mama's womb again? I mean, that's not gonna be a good thing. How can I enter into my mama's womb again and be born again? What are you talking about? And Jesus said to him in John chapter three, verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Every single one of us, the first time we were born, we were born of water. It's speaking of our physical birth, how God brought us into this world. But in order for us to experience heaven and to know God as our father, we've got to experience the new birth. We've got to experience being born again. The Bible says born of the spirit. You know when that happens? It's in that same chapter in John chapter three, verse 16, that God tells us how we experience that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever does what? believes in him, will not perish, but will have eternal life. The very moment God convicts you of your sin and convicts you of your need of a savior, the very moment God convicts you that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus is the only way you can be saved, and that moment you confess Christ, Christ, would you save me? Would you take control of my life and be my Lord and savior? The very moment you confess your faith in Christ, you are forgiven and you are cleansed, and that very moment you are born again. What does that mean? Here's what it means. I want you to see what God does. What does God do when we put our faith in Christ, here's what he does. 
He forgives us, yes. He cleanses us, yes. But now we are adopted and become children of God. Verse two, I love this little three-letter word. Beloved, now we are children of God. Many times people think about God, even the movies depict God as if he's this really old man, you know? We think about God. We think about maybe the fact that God created the heavens and the earth and we look at him in the past for what he did. We think about God. We think about how God led the authors of scripture to write and how God gave us his scriptures. And we think of the past of what he did. We read God's word and we read the stories and we're, oh, wow, it's amazing what God did with David and Goliath. It's amazing what God did way back all that long time ago. But what God is saying in this passage of scripture is this. He's the God of now. He is the great I am, not the great I was. He is the great I am, not the great I used to be. He's the God of now. And even today, God stands ready now to forgive us of our sin. He stands ready now to cleanse us of all that we've done wrong. He stands ready now to to bring us into a relationship with him. He stands ready now to intervene in our life. It's a wonderful truth to be reminded that Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, when it speaks of salvation, it says it in the present. Come now and let us reason together. For though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be made like wool. The very moment we confess Christ as Lord, we're forgiven and adopted into God's family. That's why the Bible says in John chapter one, verse 12, but as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's why Galatians chapter four, verses six and seven says it this way, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans chapter eight, verses 14. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What I'm saying to you loud and clear, and hopefully clear this morning is this. God calls us to a relationship with him. And the very moment we call upon Christ to forgive us, to save us, to cleanse us, to be our Lord, the Bible says we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and we're adopted into the family of God. The Bible says it this way. In that moment, we experience the righteousness of Christ. We'll look at that more in just a moment. So there's a calling in Christ, and that is we're called to know him and to be adopted into his family. But the second thing about practicing righteousness I think we need to see is this. I want you to see our celebration with Christ. See, our calling, once you believe in Christ, is we're called a child of God. We're literally made a joint heir, the Bible says, with Jesus himself. But secondly, we see a credible word of celebration. He says this in verse two, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, speaking of Jesus, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Please understand what John is saying here in this moment is this. If you are been brought into the family of God, you are a child of God. That's a wonderful truth of relationship. But that wonderful truth of relationship reminds us of a wonderful reunion 
a wonderful union that will take place in the future. Here's what he says. It's not appeared yet as what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. In other words, today we live by faith. We don't see Jesus with our physical eyes. We might sense his presence, but we don't see his presence right before us. Today, we walk by faith and not by sight. But the Bible says one day, one amazing glorious day, one day Jesus is going to come again. And one day, all of us who've been living by faith, believing in Jesus, living for him, adopted into his family as his children, one day we're going to be living before the Lord. Our faith will end in sight. One day we will see him as he is. And when we do, we will be changed. First Thessalonians chapter four says it this way. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In other words, if you're a child of God, guess what? There's a wonderful celebration that's coming. First Corinthians chapter 15 says it this way. I say this to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die is what he's saying, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. In other words, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God and being a child of God means you are in relationship with him. His Holy Spirit is within you and there is a longing within you because you know this world is not your home. You know this is just a temporary place you're passing through because ultimately your home is with the Lord and one day he's coming again and he's gonna gather you to himself. And here's the truth. And the Bible says in that moment, we will be changed. Now there's a change that takes place in and through our life right now because of that relationship. But one day when we're united with Christ, we will be radically and completely totally changed. Now, the Bible does not give us volume after volume, word after word, detail after detail of all that that means. But the Bible does tell us when we're with the Lord, one of the changes that will happen is we will have a glorious body just like the body of the resurrected Jesus Christ. When this old physical state is transformed into the, that glorious heavenly body, the Bible says there's gonna be no pain, no sickness, Hallelujah. No sorrow, no more disease, no more death. When we are with the Lord, when we are united with him, we will be changed. Literally, the scripture says, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Commentator John Phillips said it this way, this is the wonder of all wonders that we will be like Jesus, like him for all the endless ages yet unborn, like him in the glory of his appearance and splendor, like him in thought and word and deed, like him in character, conduct and conversation. This will be life beyond human comparison. But that wonderful union, that glorious future, that incredible promise that Jesus is coming again, 
Today is also a call to action. See, see, because of who we are in Christ, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and because of what we will be in Christ as God changes us in that glorious moment, there's a call to action today. For, for those of us who are living and we have breath, and I think that describes us here this morning, okay? Someone beside you looks like they're out of elbow, and let's see if they're, if they're still with us, all right? For those of us living and moving and breathing and processing all these different things, there's a call to action. And he tells us in verse three, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, let me illustrate that for just a moment. Many of you here today, you, you either have gone through the process where you were engaged and you got married, or maybe you know in the wedding celebration, you can envision this. And, and some of you, may I don't know somebody, go watch a Hallmark movie, okay? It all works out the same in the end, all right? What, what happens? What happens is there's a proposal, right? Guy gets down on his knees. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Please make me the luckiest man in the world. Will you marry me? She says, of course, you know, I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, mean, I, I have watched too many Hallmark movies with my kids, but anyway, so there's a proposal. A ring is put on her finger. And then she goes home and sits down and does nothing until the day of the ceremony. That's how it works, right? No, that's not how it works. No, in fact, many brides will tell you it's the most stressful, <laughs> the most stressful season of life. Why? Because they're working and preparing. They leave the proposal and then there's all this work to do. They've got to finalize the venue and they've got to figure out who's going to be in the ceremony and what are going to be the colors and how the hair is going to be done. And I mean, I mean it literally, there's all these different things. Why? Because she wants to be prepared for that moment. In fact, both of them, both the bride and groom are working diligently because they want to be at their best. They want to look their best. They want this to be a glorious celebration. I remember even, you know, many moons ago now, when, when Heather and I were engaged, I, I lived on campus at Liberty and I was on a dorm. And so I had 56 guys in our dorm. Every time I walked in the dorm, they would tease me about it a little bit. When I came back from Christmas break, one of my buddies had made this like, huge calendar looking thing that they put on the middle of the hallway that had a numbers of countdown to my wedding. And every day I would go out there and I'd rip off one of those pages, right? Because the big countdown was on. The fact that I was gonna be united in marriage, it affected the way I lived in the present. For the first time in my life, I began to eat healthy. <laughs> a few guys were like, hey dude, we gotta get you in shape. We're gonna go work out, you know? And I lasted for like three days. It was awesome, you know? And so anyway, so I... I, the way I spent my time was differently. The way I spent my money was differently because I was broke and I saved every penny I could, I could. I mean, just, it affected the promise of what was to come, the celebration I was looking forward to affected the way that I lived in the present. When you and I are truly children of God, we understand we are in relationship with him. His Holy Spirit is within us. This world's not our home. And one day we're gonna be with Christ. And because we know this, we look forward with anticipation. And that anticipation leads us to a changed way in how we live in the present is what God is ultimately showing us. The fact of the matter is this. When you and I know that Jesus could come at any time, it causes us to live with a readiness all the time. Ed Heinsohn says it this way, no man knows the time, Jesus could come at any time, so we must be ready all the time. Jesus himself said in Revelations that he was coming quickly and his reward was with him to render to every man according to what he has done. So here's my question, are you ready? 
Are you ready? If Jesus were to return today, are you ready? If he wasn't to return today, but he was to call you home today, are you ready? Can I just be so blunt to say to you that in the midst of this season of life, frankly, God has been doing some wonderful, encouraging and refreshing things in life and ministry. But it's also been a difficult season. As we were talking with our pastors on Thursday morning and we were praying, Pastor Scott made the comment. He said, you know, guys, as we pray about some specific things, he was burdened. He said, you know, he said, we've seen more people pass this year, this calendar year since January 1 than we experienced in the previous five years combined. And he's right. This, this morning, I'm so thankful that so many of the Kalinchuk family are here. Got to see some in the CLC a moment ago as well. And we've been praying for you and we love you and we love Demetri and are so thankful he's with the Lord today. This hasn't been announced to anyone. We haven't asked you to pray. And frankly, I can't say the details of this today because I don't know what a family has been communicated with. But even this week, on Thursday morning, two of our family members or regular attenders, faithful part of Crosslink here in recent months, had loved ones who passed very suddenly and unexpectedly. Thursday morning, before we even had meeting with our pastors for prayer time, we were aware of two individuals in our church who suddenly and unexpectedly lost a loved one. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm simply saying to you, you do not know your time. You do not know when God is going to call you into eternity. You do not know how many more days you have. You do not know how many more messages you will hear. You do not know how many more opportunities God will give you. You do not know how many more times you'll hear the gospel. You do not know how many more times you will have the opportunity to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So it's so important while you have opportunity that you do accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do experience his forgiveness, that you are adopted into the family of God. And because when you do, you know that you're saved and you have that celebration to look forward to. But I want you to see finally, our change through Christ. Now remember, I started this message off with the statement from 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, that the entire context of these verses is about the word practice. The idea of practice here is that of something that is ongoing, something that is a lifestyle, something that is a pattern. There are many people who read these words of scripture in verses four through 10, and either they get confused or they get overwhelmed. Confused because they, they, they might misread this and think, okay, so, so wait, wait a second, wait a second. So if I'm a Christian, I will never ever sin. That's not what the Bible's saying overwhelmed because they hear that message and they think, man, I, I could never follow Jesus perfectly. Like, like I, I do have struggles. There are these struggles of the flesh. There's these struggles in my past and, and they feel overwhelmed because they think that in order to be a Christian, you, you've got to be this perfect cookie cutter, like platform position, so to speak. That is not what God's word is saying. God is talking about a contrast between a lifestyle of repetitive, ongoing, habitual, unrepentant sin 
and a lifestyle of one who is seeking to live their life to please and honor the Lord. The word practice describes something that is ongoing. Maybe just a practical illustration of that. My, my oldest daughter right now is playing soccer. Now, many of you have heard me talk about soccer. You know that my, my boys have played soccer for a long time, but my daughter, Gracie, has not played a lot of soccer. But it's her freshman year of high school, and she determined, um, like yesterday, not really, but a few weeks ago, she wanted to play soccer in this soccer season. And so, sure enough, she signed up. And so, just in a few weeks, we have established a practice, if you will. She gets out of school at 3.30. Usually, I'm the one to pick her up. I pick her up. We go get a snack, you know, because that's really important for, for, for a, a, a freshman high school. So, we go get a snack. We might have some hangout time with her siblings or a hangout time with one of her friends who needs a ride to practice. And then we go to the practice field. I drop her off right now. She's there for practice from 5 to 7 p.m. At 7 p.m., I'm back. I pick her up. We have time to talk fellowship together. We head home. She gets home. She eats dinner. Uh, you know, there's that process of getting cleaned up. Then she's got homework. What I'm saying is, is that just about every night of the week, with the exception of Wednesday when she has youth group, there's an ongoing practice. It's a pattern, if you will. It's a consistent thing. You can almost know where I'm going to be, where she's going to be based upon the practice that's been established in the past two weeks. That's the illustration when he's giving this contrast of those who practice sin and those who practice righteousness. So we see a change through Christ. For the person who has believed in Jesus, been adopted into the family of God, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new or new things have come. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 tells us about the change that happens spiritually in our standing before God when we believe in Jesus. It says this, God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The very moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you. It is put to your account. I'm not righteous in and of myself. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. I'm not righteous, not even single, a single one of us. But the moment I believe in Christ, the Bible says we are covered, we are clothed by the righteousness of Jesus. So now that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, now that I've been changed and made a new creation, here's the simple reality. It will be lived out in my life. If I made a new creation, I'm not gonna keep going to the things that I used to do. I'm certainly not gonna keep wanting to do those things. I'm gonna seek to live out who I am in Christ. I have a new relationship. I used to not know God, but now I do know God. I used to be a sinner in need of grace, but now I'm, a sa uh, 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 now I'm saved and I'm saved by grace. And so the fact is now I seek to live that out. Well, how do you do that? The biggest change that God brings to our life is seen in the way that we seek to turn away from the practice of sin and the way that we devote ourselves to the practice of righteousness. Listen to Ephesians chapter five. For you were formerly darkness. Christian, he's what he's talking to. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Well, how does a believer live in goodness, righteousness, and truth? Listen to the next statement. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, 
those who are walking in righteousness, practicing righteousness, are not living for their pleasure, their flesh, their wants and desires. Instead, because we're in relationship with the Lord, we're seeking to learn to grow in and to walk in those things that are pleasing to him. Does that mean that a follower of Christ never sins? No. Does that mean that we never fall short and struggle? No. But here's what it does mean. When we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we're in relationship with him, when we do stumble, when we do sin, we realize that we are not creation sinning against our creator. We're a child sinning against our father. And when we sin against our father, because we're in relationship with him and because we understand that the, 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 the division that's brought and we understand the way that we've grieved him, it brings us to a place, frankly, of conviction. First Corinthians calls it a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That means when you're a child of God, sin might be pleasurable for the moment, but it will not lead to our happiness. So as a child of God, when we sin, when we stumble, when we fall, instead of enjoying it, instead of relishing it and keep on going back to it and making a way for it, no, it brings us to a place where we say, God, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and cleanse me. I've grieved you. But when we don't know Christ, when we aren't in relationship with him, we might feel bad for a moment, but it doesn't lead us to sorrow. It doesn't lead us to repentance. We just keep pursuing the same old thing and the same old thing, looking for new pleasures, new highs, new things, new experiences. Why? Because we don't have a relationship with God. John summarizes it in a very simple and sobering way. What does he say in verse nine? No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Commentator John Phillips said it this way. If we do not have a belief that behaves, then we do not have a salvation that saves. So here's my question. John wrote so that we might have assurance of our salvation. But in order for us to have that assurance, we've got to be willing to examine our heart and life. You might be here today, you might have heard a million sermons before. I mean, you, you might have prayed prayers before. You might have been in church for a long time. But I just want to remind you that we are not saved by our good works. We're not saved by our outward appearance. We're only saved by grace through faith. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And from our text today, we know that means. It means it will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and it means that we're adopted into the family of God. So here's my question. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? 
Have you been covered by his righteousness and adopted into the family of God? Today, if you're not certain of that, you can be by calling on the name of Jesus to be your savior. But secondly, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, yes, I have. I, I know that I'm saved. I wanna ask you, is there anything in your life today that God is convicting you of when God says, in essence, those who follow me are not gonna keep practicing sin. They're gonna be practicing righteousness. What is it in your life that God is convicting you of and calling you to turn from today? I wanna encourage you today, whatever it is, you can confess it and experience the joy of his forgiveness and mercy. And I pray that you will. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. I pray, God, that you would help us to realize that there is no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that each of us here today will make sure that we are in right relationship with you. And Father, I pray that there would be nothing that would be a hindrance, a deterrence from that close relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.